Good morning and welcome. Good to see you here this morning. Glad that you've chosen to be with us today. If you're a guest of ours, boy, we are honored to have you with us. Uh, before I get started with my lesson this morning, I want to share with you some really exciting plans for next year. Now, I know we've sort of been hinting around at some things. We've sort of been um, uh, suggesting some directions that we were going, kind of teasing a little bit, but things are falling into place for a really focused effort beginning in January for the Bay Area family. And for the last several months, uh, the eldership, myself, we have been meeting, we've been talking about this, we've gone to training sessions, we have prayed about it, and we keep asking ourselves the question, would this be something good for the Bay Area family? Is this something that would benefit us? Is this something that we need? And also, is it something that the people that we know who don't know Jesus, is it something they need as well? And it was just kind of a no-brainer. I mean, just we kept coming back to, of course. Of course this is something that would be great for us and also great for the people that we have influence over. So, beginning in January, as a congregation, we're going to be going through the Every Believer a Witness study. I'm going to be preaching sermons through the month of January and February on the reality that if you are a believer, you are a witness. It's as simple as that. If you're a believer of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a witness for and a witness to Jesus. You know, we're not all called to be evangelists. We're not all called to be teachers or elders or deacons. But we are, every single one of us, called to be a witness. If you're a believer, you're a witness. And I know some of you are thinking right now, okay, where are we going to go to church in January and February? You're going to go right here. Don't you dare think about leaving Bay Area. We need you now more than ever. Plus, I think you're really going to enjoy this. I think you're going to be, want to be a part of it. Now, what I'm so excited about, the fact is, being a witness for Jesus, it is so much easier than I think we've always made it out to be. Now, what does a witness do? A witness talks about what he knows, what she knows, what she's seen, what she's experienced. That's it. That's all a witness does. A witness just talks about what they know. You're not asked to witness about something you haven't seen, heard, or experienced. You just talk about what you know. We're not going to ask you to knock on strangers' doors. We're not going to ask you to stand on a street corner and recite Acts chapter 2. We're just going to give you some strategies on how to tell people in a very non-threatening, very conversational way your Jesus story. You know, if I were to give you a list of things and tell you to put them in order of what's most important in your life, and I put in that list um, your job, your family, uh, your favorite sports team, television, Jesus. List them in order of importance. I am sure that almost everybody in this room would have Jesus at the top of the list. Now, not people outside. They, they might not have Jesus on the list at all. But for those of us in this room, we'd have Jesus at the very top of our list. Most important thing in our life. If I were to give you the same list and say, okay, now put them in order of what you talk about most during the week, I suspect that Jesus would slide down the list a little bit. In John chapter 8, Jesus heals a man who is demon-possessed. That man wanted to follow Jesus, wanted to go with him. And Jesus said, no, I want you to just go home and tell your story. 
And in verse 39, we read, So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. That's being a witness. We're going to learn how to go all over town and tell people how much Jesus has done for us. You're going to get some practical, hands-on strategies for different ways you can bring Jesus up in conversation that's not preachy and not pushy and not phony, but just in real conversation to bring Jesus up. And I'm excited to think what God might be able to do with a whole bunch of people who are just going out in our town and talking about how much Jesus has done for us. So, that's coming up in January. You're going to be hearing a lot more about that in the coming weeks. Now, starting next week, I'm going into a short sermon series on the birth of Jesus. We're going to talk about that event where Jesus left heaven and came here to earth and really changed the world forever. So that's next week, in the next several weeks. I mean, the whole world's talking about it. We might as well too, right? Which brings us to today. I've had a sermon that I knew I wanted to preach and I needed to preach, and I've been trying to figure out where to kind of plug it in, and I've landed on today. It's really an important subject. I haven't preached on it in a couple months, and I know the next several months are going to be busy as well with some other subjects. But this morning, I want to talk about this specific subject. Now, you hear people say, you all need to practice what you preach. And that's true. Well, every now and then, I need to preach what we practice. Here at Bay Area, we practice water baptism. Water baptism is very important to us here. And the reason why it is very important to us here is because if you read through the New Testament, water baptism was very important to Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to preach what we practice. And I want to stay right in the context of our story. You know, I mentioned as Christians, we need to be telling everybody our Jesus story. But everybody has a story. You had a story before you were introduced to Jesus. Everybody you know has a story. Everybody has hopes and dreams and burdens and battles. Some too deep for words. Some too private to see. And it's Jesus who turns those stories around. It's the cross where those stories get changed forever. And baptism is how we claim that gift of forgiveness, how we claim that gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the gift of redemption, the gift of salvation. I want to come at this from a little bit different direction this morning. Now, usually when we talk about baptism, we'll spend a lot of time in Acts chapter 2, or Acts chapter 8, or Acts chapter 22, or Romans chapter 6, 1 Peter chapter 3. All wonderful passages, really powerful, important passages that talk about the necessity of and the importance of baptism. But this morning I want to use as a springboard a verse that we don't usually use when we talk about baptism. In fact, I don't think I have ever heard this verse used in the context of baptism, even though the word baptism is in the verse. It's uh, from the letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That chapter begins this way. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, 
and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized with Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, the baptism that Paul is talking about here is not really the baptism that I'm talking about today. They didn't practice water baptism in the Old Testament like we read about being practiced in the New Testament, but Paul is using an image here. He's using a word picture here. He's very deliberate when he uses that word. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. He's referring to one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament. He's referring to one of the central themes, really, of the Old Testament, one of the central themes of Scripture, and that is Israel's deliverance from Egyptian slavery. Israel was in bondage to Egypt. It was cruel, it was oppressive, it was somewhat genocidal, and it lasted a long, long time. And God's people cry out to God, and God hears them, and God cares. And God raises up a leader by the name of Moses. And then God sent ten plagues upon the land and upon the Egyptians, till finally Pharaoh, the, the, the king there in Egypt, says, that's it, go ahead, leave, I want you to get out of here. And the Israelites leave Egypt. And God is leading His people in a very unique way. We're told in Exodus chapter 13, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So by day it's a pillar of cloud where the all-knowing, all-powerful presence of God resided. So I guess the first people to have all their information stored in the cloud wasn't Amazon, it wasn't Google, it was the Israelites 3,000 years ago. God is leading them. And He leads them to the edge of the Red Sea. And we're told when they began this journey, when they left Pharaoh, when they left Egypt, we're told, Exodus 13, chapter, eight, chapter 13, verse 8 says that they went marching out boldly. They left Egypt marching boldly. They get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh changes his mind. Pharaoh decides to mobilize his army. They go after those Israelites. They, they make the decision, we're going to bring them back. We've got to restore our workforce here. The Israelites see the Egyptian army approaching. The Red Sea's in front of them. The mountains are on the side. The, the army's approaching. They're not so bold anymore. Exodus 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, of course, that is not what they said to Moses while they were in Egypt. In Egypt, they said to Moses, get us out of here. But now it looks like their story is actually going to be over before it really gets started. And then Moses has these amazing words to share with the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. 
You need only to be still. Powerful words. Although maybe Moses was just as panicked on the inside as people were because in the very next verse, God says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Get going. Move on. Move on where, Lord? To the Red Sea. Go ahead. Raise your staff. I'll part the waters. It's going to work. It'll be great. Charlton Heston will make a movie about it later on. Everybody's going to remember it. Trust me. Now, going down into the water looked like certain death. And in a way, it was. They were dying to their fears. And they were dying to their old identity. And they were dying to their old life. But here's why I think later on, years later, in the book of Corinthians, the letter that Paul writes, I think here's why Paul uses that word, baptism, in, that, in talking about this story. When those Israelites came up out of that water, they were new. And they were different. Because with God, your story never ends. And with God, your story is never over. So they trust God. They step into the sea, and God does exactly what He promises and parts the water. They walk through on dry land. There's water on the right, water on the left. And God does indeed defeat their enemies. And when they came out of the water, and again, this is important to think about when we think about this idea of baptism. When they came out of the water, they stepped into a new reality. When they went down into the water, they were slaves. When they went, came up out of the water, they were free. When they stepped down into the water, they were in grave danger. When they came up out of the water, they were safe in the arms of God. When they went down into the water, they were living pretty much like everybody did in the ancient world. When they came up out of the water, they were on their way to Mount Sinai, the covenant of God, the Ten Commandments. When they went down into the water, they were terrified. When they came up out of the water, they were celebrating. They were rejoicing, literally celebrating and rejoicing. In fact, the very next chapter, most theologians agree that it's the very first hymn ever written to God. It's found right after the children of Israel crossed through the Red Sea, written in part by Miriam, the sister of Moses. She danced to it as well. Here's one verse from that hymn. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. They sang that. They danced to that. You know, today when we witness someone being baptized, that person's usually pretty excited when they come up out of the water. Rightfully so. They should be pretty excited coming out of that water. You know, something had been holding them back. For some reason, they'd maybe been stiff-arming God just a little bit and, and feeling like uh, there was too much guilt or too much fear that, that might haunt them forever. But when they come out of the water, there's this realization that God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness and God's salvation, that is real in my life now. That's my victory now. Now, when the people of Israel went down into the water, they didn't really have a God story of their own. 
Yeah, they'd heard about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they'd heard about how God had delivered Joseph. But that was years ago. Years ago. That was somebody else's story. It wasn't really their story. But when they came out of the water, they had a God story of their own. Now, God wasn't just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, God was their God. Question, do you have that exciting a God story in your life? Listen, if you've been baptized, you do. If you've been brought from darkness to light, if you've been brought from lost to found, if you've been brought from death to life, you have this amazing God story to tell. Because God is your God. Your personal God. You know, when, when those Israelites went down into the water, they felt like victims. They felt like slaves. When they come up out of the water, they have this new identity. There's a great picture of this in the book of Exodus. If you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 1, before the, before the Israelites leave Egypt, Pharaoh is a little bit worried about the growing Hebrew population. He realizes the Hebrews are having babies so quickly that pretty soon these Hebrew babies are going to grow up to be Hebrew adults, and there's going to be so many of them, I'm not sure we can keep them in control. So he comes up with a strategy. He has a plan. This is Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, when you help the women, the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, not sure what that was, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. These two women, they don't do that. These two women, Shifra and Puah, these two women show incredible heroism at great risk to their own life. They defy Pharaoh. And they make sure that those little Hebrew baby boys are safe. And when questioned by Pharaoh about this, these two women, Shifra and Puah, they tell Pharaoh, hey, those Hebrew women, they're too healthy. I mean, they go into labor and by the time we get there, we're too late. Nothing we can do about it. Now, here's an interesting detail to this whole story. Here's why I bring it up. Does anyone in here know the name of that particular Pharaoh who ordered those baby Hebrew boys killed? Does anybody know that Pharaoh's name? No, you don't. You know why you don't know his name? It's not in the book. God didn't put his name in the book. Now, think about that. On the pecking order of society, where would Pharaoh rate? At the very top, right? I mean, he was the top of every social, you know, political, powerful ladder. Everybody knew Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the man. Everybody knew his name. Who would be at the very bottom of the pecking order? Shifra and Puah. Two Hebrew women who weren't just servants, they were servants to slaves. They were midwives, so they served the slave women. They would have, nobody would have known their name. Nobody would have cared about them. But in God's story, these two women are the heroes. 
God's saying, Pharaoh who? No, no, no. The heroes in this story are right here. Shifra and Pua. They're the heroes. His name's not in the book. Shifra and Pua. I'm putting their names in my book. You know, this reality rings true all through Scripture. The last shall be first. The humble will be exalted. The, the least will be the greatest. When you're baptized, your name gets written in the book. Regardless of where you fit on the, the social pecking order. Regardless of your bank account. Regardless of where society wants to slot you, you know, as an important person. When you're baptized, God writes your name in the book of life. You know, when Jesus came, they, they tried to stop him. They tried threats. They tried intimidation. They arrested him. They beat him. Put a crown of thorn on his head. And when he went and back down, they nailed him to a cross. But what they didn't realize was the cross is the place where stories get changed. And the cross is the place where stories get turned around. And on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. The tomb was not the end of the story. When someone's baptized, Jesus' story becomes part of their story. Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that all of, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul was saying something happens at the point of baptism. God does something at the point of baptism. We share that experience with Jesus. We are raised a new person living a new life with a new purpose. Take a look at this video. I'm not sure I would use the phrase take the plunge, but we do sing the song He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood, don't we? Have you ever been plunged to victory? Now, I know there are people here this morning. You love Jesus. I know you love Jesus. But you've never been baptized. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You know, humanly speaking, you might have concluded that I'll never have a new life. That divorce, that depression, that disgrace, that failure, that addiction, that job loss, that abortion, that affair, that crime, that scandal. That was the end for sure. Listen, that was not the end. That was just Pharaoh. That was just Pharaoh. And Pharaoh doesn't win. Jesus wins. This is not the end of your story. Also, understand, baptism is not the end of your story either. It's actually the beginning of a brand new adventure in Christ. It's, not the, it's the end of an old life, 
But it's the beginning of this brand new adventure in Christ. God wants you to be free from slavery. He wants you to be free from bondage. He wants to deliver you from that Pharaoh. He wants to turn your mourning into joy. He wants to give you a new identity and a new purpose. He wants to write your name in His book. If you say yes to Him, if you go down into that water, your old life, your old self, your old purpose, your old sins, they're washed clean. You'll be raised with Christ, clothed in Him. And your story becomes part of Jesus' story. You and Moses and Shifra and Pua and Paul and the Corinthians and millions of others. Because the place where stories get turned around is the cross. And the place where redemption is found is at the foot of the cross. And the place where we claim those promises and claim those blessings, the place where we're washed free of sin, the place where we raise, we're raised to walk a brand new life, that's at baptism. If you've never been baptized before, but, but maybe you're ready, you know, ready for a new hope, ready for a new life, ready to say, you know, Pharaoh, you don't win. Jesus wins. Why don't you do that today? Really, what's holding you back? We'll help you. We'll support you. We will cheer you on like crazy. Because when you come to the cross, the cross is the place where stories get turned around. Let's stand and sing.